ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So here we go with another one of our books of the year. This is a memoir of wanting more, uh, as it says on the front. It's called Hungry. It's written by Grace Dent, who joins us from somewhere who knows where. Hello, Grace. <laughs> if you're Grace, if you're Grace Dent, and you've got a book, yes, are you? And have you got a book called Hungry? Oh, hello. Let's start again. Right. So you're Grace, and you've got a book. I'm Simon. I'm He's Matt. Hello, and hello, Grace. Hello. hello. Yes. This is uh, this is slightly surreal start because we had a few technical problems, but um, now Grace Dent is very, very happily sitting in front of her uh, computer and sitting on your router. I think by the sound of it, I'm sitting up. I'm sitting on. To, I'm, I'm. I've straddled my router, looking at the wizard, and we're ready to go. So hang on a second. You this straddled is a thing the router while straddled, the skipping the wizard. As honestly, every time. Every podcast, everything we do is like this. This is the this is the new world that we keep talking about. That every job, which should be quite simple, um, begins with lots of us just all arguing online about how to do it. And there's always at some point somebody says, "Why don't you just get closer to the router?" Which is the <laughs> COVID equivalent of Have you tried turning it on and off again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, where are you anyway? Are you in your house somewhere? I'm in my house in East London, uh, where I have been okay. uh, for the whole, yeah, for the whole of lockdown. I, I live a lot of the time up north in the Lake District, but uh, when I talk about this in the book, but for the purposes of the last, since all the hell began, I haven't been able to go up there because the okay. people that are there are shielding. So, yeah, I'm in London. <laughs> so uh, before we go any further, Matt is now going to describe the cover of this book. Well, the, the background is this um, uh, white wallpaper that I remember from my youth, uh, which I'm guessing <laughs> is is why uh, Grace chose that as well. Uh, but the, the, the front mm. cover is dominated by a picture of uh, young Grace, uh, who is clutching a bowl of something i'm not sure you're going to tell us grace what you're what you're clutching but you're wearing a blue leotard and your bugs bunny ears on your head um yes. so yes yeah, so what's the yes. what's in the bowl that you're clutching on the front there you know i um it, on one front cover it was cornflakes and on another it, it was like beans your and i've also seen a version where is it not angel delight but all i know is that the original photo 
was me clutching a number. Mm-hmm. It's been doctored because mm-hmm. that picture of me in the bunny ears is me oh, at Southport, oh, Pan- Southport Pontins in 1978. And I've entered a fancy dress party as a, as a rabbit. So I was originally in that photo holding uh, the number. Can you not see that I'm a, that I'm that I'm a rabbit in that? I can see. <laughs> yeah, room. you're definitely a rabbit, and you're at the. So that will be the Pontins at Ainsdale because I know that very yeah. well. That's wow. Yes. Okay. There are so many yeah, parts of your well. book that I'm going to interrogate you about because I know <laughs> the, the area so well. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's on the front cover. Okay, Grace. Just tell us because it's a memoir of sorts. Uh, just tell us about your your world that you've written about here. Um, so Hungry is a book about uh, how I got from being a young girl in Curragh in Carlisle, right up near the border of Scotland and uh, growing up on a terraced street. And the, the food that we ate in the 70s and the 80s and in the 90s in Carlisle, once we got the big Asda in Carlisle, <laughs> you know, the landscape of what we ate. And how I went from that to being a restaurant critic for The Guardian now in my mid-40s and having the greatest restaurants in Britain at my disposal, if not the world. I think it's just how I got from one place to another. So the book is Hungry and it's about being hungry for food, but also that uh, ambition, I suppose, that carried me from one place to the other. And, And I suppose having a look at whether that hunger is really healthy. You know, the the hunger that keeps making you want to push yourself to have your face on telly, the hunger that made me look at people like Paula Yates and think, oh, look, she looks happy. I want to be like her, you know. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's and it's, it's a book about families and how families really are. I love my family, but we're a very normal, flawed family that, like to sit in, you know, our pastimes, we like to sit in a living room and argue with each other, really. We're not really, we're not really one of those kind of lovey-dovey flat families. So, yeah, it's just, it was, it, it's a book, it's not a misery memoir. I think people kind of fixate a bit on, there's quite sad bits in it. It's a funny book, it's joyous. It's about food and love. If you like laughing and you like eating, I think you'll like it. Before Matt quizzes <laughs> you on the finer points of Carlisle, um, and and just as a way of illustrating the kind of love of food which runs all the way through the book, can you just do a little bit on Cadbury's and the colour purple as associated <laughs> with Cadbury's uh, and your dad? Because it's very evocative and people will, will love reading about it. But if you could, could you just tell us a bit about why, yeah. what the relevance is oh. of Cadbury's in your life? Well, I think that foodstuffs, and just the image of, of the, the image of, of packets and colours and shades and branding can sometimes be a key into a way we felt or an emotion that we wouldn't be able to access normally. And I always say, you know, Cadbury's especially, purple, the Cadbury's purple, the foil. I'll never see Cadbury's purple without thinking about my dad because when I was a little girl, that was his that you know, it's just the thought of him sitting in the chair having his Cadbury's fruit and nut, and the idea of him, you know, putting his thumb through the the the, the purple foil of a Cadbury's fruit and nut to me, is in you know the late seventies, early eighties, watching Kenny Everett with him sitting on the sofa, and 
if he was babysitting, which is what dads did then if they ever had to look after their own children and getting some money to go down the off license and getting chocolate. You know, Cadbury's Purple is two Easter eggs sitting on the top of the dresser for me and my brother, you know, one for my brother, one for me, and you're not allowed to have it until Good Friday or Cadbury's purple is getting a, bo- a bag of buttons, Cadbury's buttons and walking back from the naffy when my dad was still in the forces. You know, Cadbury's purple is, is that, it's that, you just have to see the purple. And to me, it brings up joy. It's funny, for some people it does, but some people didn't grow up with Cadbury's at all. And they find that whole idea appalling. I remember speaking to, I was talking to Giles Corrin about this the other day and he just doesn't, he just didn't get it because I just don't think he's ever lived in a house where they ate Cadbury's. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, so it is, it is funny, but you know, I do feel the same about so many other products. It's, you know, when I was uh, sending the book out, you always send these little gifts out with, with books. The publishers say, oh, what can we send? And I said, send a, a sachet of uh, butterscotch angel delight because there's just something about that sachet of this you know butterscotch kind of sweet mush that you just whisk with some milk and you put in the fridge that for for about five minutes and it's fine (laughs) just reminds people of a certain point in their life when things were simpler and there was less choice and you might get it at six o'clock on on a night after school while you were watching Ivor the Engine. And it's that these things just take you back to a moment in time. Are you I never s- got a book with a sachet. Did you get a book with a sachet? I got, I, well, I, no, I got two I think, sachets and in fact what? they didn't, I mean, they didn't last 24 hours. They were eaten <laughs> like, you know, I haven't had Angel Delight since I was in, you know, since I, before, before I went to uni. I didn't think they did Angel Delight anymore. And so, yeah, no, those, well, those two it. disappeared straight away. Yeah, I don't think most people who ate Angel Delight as children even know it's still there, but it is mm. it is still there in the supermarket because Angel Delight is 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 something that we had that we cherished before, you know, a cut-off point of about 1987, 88 when these big like the big Asda turned up in people's cities and it was just this like huge enormous you know, seismic change in working class people's lives. They could go, they didn't need angel delight. You could get seven types of pre-made trifle and and they were reduced <laughs> after six o'clock at night by like, you know, one of the most influential women in Carlisle. The woman had the, the gun with the stick with the reduced stickers. And, you know, you could get a Thomas the Tank Engine cake like reduced for like 90 pence. We didn't need angel delight. So I wonder when I send this out, it, it's interesting. People just, I see their faces light up. I think, um, I, I, I feel like Simon maybe ended up on the No Angel Delight list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I loved Angel Delight. Aww. It was like one of the childhood delights along with cupcakes, peanut butter and Marmite toast. Um, <gasps> uh, that, and, yeah, and, yeah, and that's it. Definitely not my mum's pasta. Um, no. What did she do with that's it? That's unlucky. Well, it was like, I, don't know, I didn't even know pasta was a desirable thing until I left. Like mac- macaroni cheese or spaghetti in a tin or something like that. Minced beef on toast, that was a speciality in our house. Wow. Well, minced beef on toast is actually very uh, trendy now. I mean, if you go to the quality chop house in London, they'll charge you upwards of 14 or 15 pounds for some good quality minced beef on toast. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it, uh, yeah, the, a Frey Bentos steak and kidney pie out of a tin, that would have been my favourite, I think. Well, I Goodness think that me. that's a very underrated uh, classic, the Frey Bentos pie. I think that although they get laughed at, they became like a kind of a, a, you know, a punchline to a joke. There was a point in the 70s, early 80s, where there was a whole generation of kids that had kind of came out of the war and the only time they'd ever had meat was when it was delivered to their house by the meat man and it was like a horrible piece of tripe or awful. <laughs> it got stuck in, a, you know, didn't even have a fridge, got stuck in a cupboard. And, and I think that when these like pies in tins and things turned up, we did see it as progress. And, and they were actually, you know, a Bento's pie for a long time was quite delicious. I don't know. I haven't had one for a while. Maybe I'll get one of those shipped to your house as way of apology for the angel delight. <laughs> you wake up and go, why have I got these? <laughs> nice. Is it, well, it is also a thing with the Frey Bentos pie is it was almost like magic watching the sort of pastry forming in the oh, oven and being great. able to see it sort of billowing out of the tin. I, I love the book, Grace. I think it's, I, as you've already said, it's really funny. But I, I loved it for a very uh, parochial reason, which is that um, I, um, I spent five years living in Carlisle and uh, that's oh where my, my first job was. It's where I, I met my wife in, um, in Tully House. We got married oh in, Rock, in Rockcliffe Village Church. Um, she used to own a jewellery <laughs> shop. Um, just opposite the big post office on uh, Warwick on Warwick Road. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, I, and everyone I've told about this book, I've mentioned the three Bs, which is Butchergate, Bins, and Big Asda, uh, because that, that, and those are there are so many there are so many touchstones for me. And I was all I was waiting for was some reference to the Twisted Wheel, and I was uh, so put out when there wasn't one. Um, but 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 I loved I loved the book, and and uh, quite apart from the fact that it made me laugh so many times uh, reading it and also because I had a sort of similar re similar relationship with food in that I was very very unsophisticated um, mm -hmm. when I was when I was growing up and and this is I do not say this for effect this is absolutely true when I went away to university I believed that I would be able to live on toast and just toast <laughs> And for my first, and I, you know, I went to Morrison's and all I bought was marmalade, margarine and bread. And within three days, I was going nuts while seeing my yeah. friends make this amazing spaghetti bolognese, which I thought was like they, they were creating, it was like they're turning lead into gold. It was, I, I couldn't <laughs> understand how they were putting together spaghetti bolognese. But I, 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 the, the question I want to ask you is that, so I sort of grew up in Liverpool, studied in Bradford, and and as I say, I, my first job was was uh, living in Carlisle. And uh, I'm normally really suspicious of books that talk about sort of northern people having a different sort of um, uh, frame of reference or different um, uh, mental well-being, that that kind of thing. I'm always suspicious of it because I just think you, it's it's not that much different to living anywhere else. However, mm. when you talk about moving down south and and it's just this one minor thing i almost leapt from my chair when i read it mm. was you talked about being at um uh, going out for dinner with with people and them being very showy and affectionate with their kids and i thought <laughs> yes absolutely that happens 
down south and it didn't happen to me up 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 north. Now obviously there'll be plenty plenty of people yeah. listening to this who live up north yeah. who are very affectionate and showy with their kids. And obviously that's a that's a good thing. However, to me, as I say, I leapt from my chair when I when I read well, when I read that. Well I, I I mean I always say with with my family that when we when we start telling each other we actually love each other, something's going on, you know? <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. some kind of the moment somebody says, I just need you to know that I love you, you're like, what, what, what's, what's the actual agenda here? Because yes, someone's some really clearly bad about to news die. Afoot. Someone's about to die. <laughs> what's going on? And it, yeah, it's it that the kind of, you know, being hugged and being held and being told that you're special all the time and that you're clever and that you could achieve anything and reach for the stars and you're the most special person snowdrop in the room. That never happened to me <laughs> as no, a child. No. I, I always say that one of the most frustrating things is that, that they still resolutely refuse to treat me like the enormous deal I think I am inside my own head. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and like, I still get back now and like any story I have, about any showbiz thing can be quickly upstaged by like somebody noticing a bird outside or something like that. You kind of, I start to try and tell them about a showbiz party and then they just notice that the dog's got something trapped in its paw and everybody just ignores me. And it's, and I, and I think that, I think that's healthy though. To me, that is healthy. The fact that my mother has never thought, has never thought any more of what I do than what my brothers do. I think that's good. And the fact that even at the age of 84, she's literally just still playing us all off against each other. <laughs> she ever did. And, you know, <laughs> electing electing one of us as the favourite for about six weeks until the other one displeases her. So, yeah, uh, look, I, I don't know whether that's a Northern thing or, or what. I think there's just huge swathes of, of us that have had fairly real parents. On that whole... Um... <laughs> Leaving the north, coming to the south. I was, last night I was watching um, Hillbilly Elegy, which is uh, mm. the new Amy Adams movie, which is which is very interesting. And there's a, there's a section in there where JD, the rather annoying hillbilly uh, in question, he's having to learn table manners, and he's, he do, he mm. does a whole sequence about learning go you know, left from right and bread and wine and all that kind of stuff. Well, it makes it sound like communion. I don't mean it's that, but, you know, it's <laughs> wine that goes on one side and bread goes on the other. And you've got a whole section. I mean, obviously, food, class and family is at the heart of this anyway. But you've got a section on sort of learning social manners. And is it bread, meal, wine? Is that the thing you have bread, to remember? Bread, meal, wine, BMW, bread, meal, oh, right. wine. But I also say that I think that one of the things that uh, makes working class people especially feel really apprehensive about, uh, you know, going into posh restaurants, uh, you know, spaces that they just think aren't for them and give them anxiety is that they think that a very specific set of rules are being observed at all time. And that if they put a foot wrong, it's like, you know, some huge buzzer's going to go off and they're going to be thrown out the door. And it, and it isn't that, you know, it isn't. And and I think that the, I think the middle classes definitely observe rules beautifully, but the upper classes have always just done whatever they want, you know? Like, I think that when I first came to London and hung around with 
very, very rich, posh people. I realised that, you know, a lot of them think nothing of walking up to a table and taking their coat off and throwing it on the floor. And I'm trying to think of anything that I can actually say in a podcast here that, but that the upper classes do that isn't actually completely rude. But yeah, it's it just, I, I just think that maybe it's the middle classes that get very bogged down in whether you should have one elbow on the table or whether you've pronounced something incorrectly, whereas the posher people are, the more they don't give a heck. <laughs> yeah, there, there's quite a few points in the book where I know that Matt was, because we've read a lot of books uh, uh, together, and, um, or not obviously, we don't read them together, but you know, we've read the same <laughs> Yeah, that's what we same, do. Yeah. Do, you sit, <laughs> do you sit like Eric and, all... <laughs> and Ernie in bed? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, exactly yeah, that's right. <laughs> And all the posh people that you that you write about, the Taffeta Flinty Wimslows. Oh, uh, oh my God. This world, they're, they're all the people that would drive Matt crazy. Yes. All of them, all of them named you know. after obscure Shakespearean characters, as opposed to someone who was in the Bible. That's always my it, basically. Oh, look, I've named them after a sonnet, and I've included a random vowel in my name as well. It's it's very strange. The thing was, I changed all of the names of everybody around that point, and uh, took their real names and made up even more ludicrous names, just out, out of the blue. So, you know, Taffeta, Taffeta Wilmslow, Flintoff or whatever. And what I've found is that people say, oh, I know her. It's <laughs> not a real name. It's not a real name, um, but it's just because the actual names are so ridiculous. Hang on a second. I just need to plug something in. Just, I'm just getting off the router, boys. All right. Hang on a second. Hang oh, on. that's just the sound of a wizard off. being Hang skipped. On. Life welcome right welcome to podcasts. Do you remember when we used to do podcasts and every, all of us would be like sitting in the tiniest little cubicle? Which feels like, like it feels like some kind of horror movie that now, doesn't yes. it? The idea we would yeah. all be in this tiny room together is, uh, yeah, very, very weird. And now... Not, no social distancing, of, no masks. <laughs> now the sound of, of that. Grace Dent running around with uh, presumably still somewhere near her router. Uh, the one with Malcolm Gladwell, we were all kind of sitting on each other's laps, as I remember. Yeah, kind no, of, no. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, where's Grace? Is, do you think she's tidying the room? She's forgotten. I think that's what she's got to that stage in life where she's forgotten what she's actually supposed yeah. to be doing. She's off to make her angel delight. That's what I think she's doing yeah. now. And <laughs> so she's just wandered away, stepped away from the podcast. And has now forgotten that she's supposed to be talking to we're us. Gonna, in about five minutes, we're going to have to start shouting down the line to her to remind yeah. her that she's still I think that's me. probably Ben's job to yeah. um, probably go round to her house. <laughs> and, oh, is, is, is this the sound of heavy footsteps? Yes. How can you just wander away from a podcast? <laughs> I'm just Imagine. going to plug something in. Bye. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, hello. there she is. <laughs> hello. What were you putting It's the most literally shambolic <laughs> recording I've done. I bet you didn't walk in, away in, from in the Charles entire <laughs> in the in, in the entire uh, book to, the book tour so far. No, I basically went to I could see that my laptop was suddenly just losing power and I went to plug it into the wall and the the, the, the root of the, the thing I was going to plug it into is just gone. Someone's been cleaning up and took it away. Never mind. I'm back here. I'm slightly... Walked away from Giles Brandreth. What does that mean? 
Oh, I don't, no, it's fine. Was it Giles <laughs> Corrin? That was who you were talking about. Him. About. Giles Corrin. They're Corrin. all the same. I thought, yeah, they're oh, all the same, all the same these Giles. Giles. Giles Brandreth let me down twice no. for a thing I was doing last year. And I was very, I was very upset because it, I was doing a Christmas special about something. And I wanted him to come on and talk, but he was far too busy doing all of his other Christmas things. He's one of my favourites. He was like, did you never have well, the he, Giles yeah. Brandreth joke book as a child? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> anyway, okay. before we go completely off, before we go completely <laughs> off topic, Grace, Grace has got a book out, and uh, which is, which is uh, why she's on our Books of the Year podcast. And for all the food and class and family stuff, and, and right through the heart of, uh, of the book is the dementia of your father. And I think one yeah. of the reasons it's why it's such an overpowering book and it's funny and laugh out loud is that it's, you know, it's a gut punch, you know, very, very uh, often uh, throughout the book. Can you explain just a little bit about what you were hoping to do when you were telling your, your dad's story in this? Um, well, I don't think I, I told my dad's story um, and what happened in the end because... I really wanted anything. I'm not a campaigner and I'm not uh I, I'm I'm not kind of hoping really for any level of catharsis from it because uh it certainly hasn't given me any <laughs> at all. It's uh because, you know, I, I had to kind of go really into the emotions of I suppose what happened in the actual the wor- the very, very worst parts of that near the end. Uh, and now I'm, uh, and now the book's out and people want to talk to me about it all the time in the loveliest sense. It's lovely. It's so lovely. People want to talk to me all the time about the, the horrible things that happen to them. And as I say, Hungry isn't a misery memoir because a misery memoir is about something that's usually quite specific that hasn't happened to other people, you know, something really unique and awful, whereas dementia is something that's happening to millions of families right now. It's uh, it's it's mundane, it's humdrum, and it's going to happen to millions of more families next year. So by doing it, the only thing I wanted to do was uh, not shy away from the subject. I, uh, my first drafts of Hungary pulled right back and didn't really tell the truth. And then I thought that I should tell a little bit and I did just tell a little bit. Uh, I think people think it's it's really harrowing, but really the, there's there's so much of it that's missing um, because I just wanted to you know keep my dad's privacy. Um, and I, one of the loveliest things is that you know I wanted to be able to say, look, this happened to me, and if you've read this and you're in your absolute darkest hour and you've got your dad or your mom have started wandering around the streets or the awful things that happen I understand and I was there and 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 you're not alone because uh I think that's it really I just and 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 that and I think I have achieved that I get emails every day from people you know I think I'm, I'm generation x and I get generation x people getting in touch every day in their 40s saying oh my god God, my sister sent me this or my brother sent me this book and he said, this is where we were with dad. And so, you know, that that's all I wanted to do. I, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, but it's really weird that everybody knows now. 
It is, I, and uh, I, I think you're right in sort of that generation in their 40s, and I'm, I'm probably a couple of years older than you, but um, I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of us who know that through either uh, in-laws or through through our own parents. Th- there is another part of the book, though, that I want to talk to you about. And this is, and, and by the way, if you're listening and you're under the age of 30, this is the point where you're going to roll your eyes, but I'm going to say it anyway. That, that, and you make this point in the book, there was a time where we all lived before there was an internet. Mm. And it is a completely different world. And it's I, and you also talk about the time before when Twitter was nice. So and, yes. and I, I know Simon Simon was very early on Twitter. I wasn't. And mm. there was the time of Twitter when it was the age of the Stephen Fry stuck in a lift. So if you remember that, when yeah. Stephen Fry got stuck in a lift and he said, oh, what should we do? I'm stuck in a lift. Anyone got any suggestions? And all the suggestions came back and they were all really nice and twee. And that's when I was mm. not on Twitter. When I was on Twitter, mm. it was, if you'd have said that now, it's basically, you know, you get a huge amount of a, a, <laughs> abuse comes back. But I, I think... Blame the Tories. Uh, blame the Tories. <laughs> Hashtag Corbyn. Um, so I, yeah. I, it's just it's just so rare in human. And I, and I know I know it's such a cliche to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's so rare in human history where you would be able to stand on both sides of something huge, and there being no internet, and then there is an internet. That's it's just a massive thing. Mm-hmm. And again, you 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 talk about that in your book. I was determined that. I was not going to mention anything about the internet up until the moment that I remember seeing the internet for the first time. And I took that decision because I thought there's nothing more annoying than somebody trying, than than someone sidling up to you and trying to say, you know, just go, and there was no internet then. Oh, dating, there was no internet then. Oh, trying to trying to see your friends. You had to go around to the house. There was no internet. You know, it's like, right, nobody wants to hear that. But there was also, by turn, a very specific time when everything changed. And I, I, I kind of try to show, I just get it all out of my system in about two pages. I just splurge it all out. These ideas like that we gave away the right to never, to have a period where you're just doing nothing, you know? This idea that you're, you come in from work and you just sit on a sofa and do nothing or you spend a weekend doing nothing or the idea of instead of always having, you know, a screen or something on the go or, you know, trying to flick and flick things and touch things and scroll things or that idea that, and I'm very interested in this, this idea that when when I dated, when I was in my teens and 20s, the idea that you would meet somebody in the dark, in a bar, in a, in a nightclub, and basically snog them when you'd had 10 units of alcohol, swap phone numbers for landlines, and then go yeah. in your opposite direction. And then for four days, the only thing you had to go on about who you were meeting was what your friends remembered they looked like. So <laughs> your friend would go, well, I think I think they had blonde hair. I don't know. that You were in the corner. I didn't see. And then for that gorgeous four days, all you had was uh, imagination, really. I don't just mean about what you look, what they looked like. You knew nothing. You didn't know who they hung about with, what they did, where they lived, what they liked, what they didn't like, what their music like. And it's this idea that now 
all of that's gone and you can kind of begin to stalk somebody immediately the moment that you kind of like them before you know it, you know and it's you know that's just one tiny little thing that we lost with the internet when we got the internet but also I don't want to bang on all the time about how it was like life was better because it bloody wasn't better you know it's like every single thing Every single thing that I've done today and I've done for the last week would have taken a thousand times longer before we had the internet. And, for, and, I, and I sleep every night with two phones under my pillow because it doesn't matter how many times I've been told I'm not, it's not very healthy. Like I need to have this, you know, what if I can't check my social media? You're right about Twitter. There was a point when it was great. There was a point when it was lovely. But then that drove a lot of people mad because suddenly everybody thought that they were a celebrity and everybody was just, you know, it, it was a good point, but it was kind of, I'm kind of glad that passed too. I want to f just want to finish with some food. Uh, we, we talked about butterscotch whip and, and Cadbury's and there is, and everyone will have their own version of this particular meal, but you do mention quite specifically, I think, you know, if you've had a really, ro I don't, I can't remember what stage you are in your life because it, you, you, you flip, you flip around various different parts of, mm. uh, of your, of your career. But you talk about, you know, if you had a really, really rough day, that the, the ultimate meal for you is oven chips, a jar <laughs> of Bisto gravy. And mint sauce. Wow. <laughs> now, oh, now yeah. I, I like all of those in. <laughs> in different places, but put them all together, it did make me think, wow, okay. It made you think, what kind of monster is this woman? And no, how but sometimes is she you just married? have to think to hell That's with social does. convention. When, do you have, where, how no. often do you, when was the last time you had oven chips, bisto and mint sauce? I haven't had that for a while, but I think what I was trying to sum up was I wanted to write, I remember when I was tinkering with that that paragraph and I thought, I want to put something in there, which is something that I will have eaten in the past, that people are so, their breath is so taken away by the by the honesty of it, by, because it's, it's a really guilty thing to eat that, isn't it? It's like that is almost, to admit that, in a way, that is my Tracy Emmons bed, isn't it? It's like people, <laughs> she she does what? She sits and eats oven chips with mint sauce. But yeah, I have eaten it. I have eaten yeah. it. Oh come on, we've all got. We've yeah, all, we have. Look, yeah. in what Instagram has done over the years is just make us all liars, and we all sit there. We cook something lovely, and we take a photo, and we go. Oh, look, this is what I eat every night. No, you don't. Everybody at some point comes in and ends up eating, you know, rye vita with some, you know, squirty cheese and some pickled onions on it standing up in their in their kitchen. Like everybody has these guilty, slightly guilty dinners. Simon, I don't believe that you don't have a guilty dinner. Do you have a cook? Is that it? Do you have a, do you have a chef? Oh, yes. Simon. Yes, do you have a cook? Simon, Simon has a chef. Simon, literally, What Simon would it be tonight, sir? At, <laughs> sir. It'll be, I've decided hobnobs with squirty cream on top. Is that okay, sir? I've made some lovely bisto. I am whipping the mint sauce. At the moment, sir. No, it is funny. I'm, it's just I'm when very, people, when, when very... there's this silence, I always think, what do these people actually eat? <laughs> no, I, I'm very fortunate that uh, Mrs. Mayo cooks very, very nicely. Also, child one and child two also cook 
because they're all here because everyone's just you know in the house still yeah. and and they cook as well so uh, i have a few dishes that i do but not go not on then what, what what are your what are your signature dishes well uh, a signature dish what a useless phrase that is a signature okay dish just your just, dish then it's just something that you cook a lot. Why does it have okay. to have the word signature in front okay, of it? Okay, okay. Get rid of signature. What is the dish you will do? What is also, the thing you will do? Also, guilty pleasure. What a load of nonsense. A okay, yeah. If we all agree, if guilty pleasure. Fine. You're, you're evading the answer, though. What is your dish that you will go to, that you will do? Well, <laughs> there was, there was, there was uh, a book of Indian recipes which Nigel Barden brought to our attention oh, back yeah. at Radio 2. And it was like healthy, superfood, Indian kind of stuff. And yeah. it was, it's basically a, an Indian dish. There's a vegetarian version which has got lots of cooked tomatoes. And there is a masala version which uses coconut milk. And it's pretty good, actually. You know, I have to say that's, you know, mm. that's not bad. That was the last that thing that I cooked, good. which is a couple of weeks ago. And when I cook it next time, I'm going to invite you both round. Do you think it would be better or worse with a layer of oven chips and some (laughs) mint sauce? (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be worth trying. And and I'm going to say... Grace Dent said it was a good idea. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you bowling through the door on Celebrity MasterChef carrying <laughs> yes. Right. Now, <laughs> can't be any worse than when Sid Owen did his gazpacho soup. I'm still mentally scarred. I have to have to, have to go and have a word with Chef about what's on tonight's <laughs> menu. Um, me, meantime, Grace Dent's book is called Hungry. Uh, there will be an, another podcast along very shortly in which Grace will be tackling our very exciting Q, uh, Q&A uh, section. But for the moment, Grace Dent, thank you so much. Uh, we love your book. It's terrific. It's funny. It's moving. It's profound. And it's an essential purchase, I would say, at this time of year. Boys, thank you. You've really made me laugh. Thank you. <laughs> You've really cheered me up on a cold, grey day. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have many episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.